This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. All right, let's bow our heads and ask God to open the Word to us today. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your presence and for your goodness. And your word does teach us to give honor where honor is due. And we thank you that you have blessed us with a fine team that is bringing glory to your name. Lord, open your word to us today so that we can become what you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we began a sermon here last week called The Mountains Are Calling. In this message time, uh, we began a, a study that I literally sat back in the office and I said, Lord, you really want me to bring this? I said, there's not even enough here to last for 35 minutes. Why do you want me to take this out there? And the Lord's like, this is what you're going to do. I'm like, Lord, but I planned this whole series. And I said, okay, God, I will obey you. And this is simply the notes of my own personal study time with the Lord. And so I brought you the message that turned in from, from one sermon and now into two, and now this makes three sermons on the mountains are calling. And quite frankly, you've responded in an unbelievable response to this series. Many of you said it's your favorite series of the last two or three years, and it's not even a series, so it shows me it's a God thing and also shows me I need some help planning series. <laughs> but God's doing some interesting things. And so I want to talk to you briefly about the mountains are calling. Now, uh, let's read the scripture and then I'm going to talk to you uh, about these topics. Isaiah chapter 25, verse number six reads like this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. How I many know he has something good in store for you? Amen. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. Notice this. It's all. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. How many faces? All. all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. And I love this last line of this. The Lord has spoken. God has a plan to deliver his people. And I can't tell you how thankful I am that I have a God who says, when I'm done with you, you won't even have to fear death anymore because you'll know that I have already won the victory for you. Amen. And so last week we began to talk about the fact that we have a, a divided congregation here. We have part of our congregation would define themselves as beach people. We have some that define themselves as mountain people, conquerors that they are. But we have some people who said, I like both. And I think the truth is we, there's a season for both in our lives. There's a season for the beach because everybody needs a season of convalescing. Everybody needs a day to rest and to enjoy and to allow that to build up who you are. Everybody needs those moments in their lives and what a blessing those moments are to enjoy those moments. But I have never seen a beach that I looked at and I said, I can conquer that. But I have seen some mountains that have been worth climbing. 
I have seen some mountains that I would never know what it looked like to see from the heights of those without having climbed up those mountains. And so I understand there's a season for convalescing, but there's also a season for conquering in our lives. And so God's been dealing with us that mountains are made to be climbed. So someone said to me, Pastor, how do we climb mountains? Well, we climb these mountains by learning the lessons of the mountain. If I don't understand what has happened on that mountain, if I don't understand what God's trying to teach me about that mountain, I will never go up that mountain. And it's interesting because as I gave the topic last week, I looked out into the audience, and there in the audience, someone had a shirt on that had the sermon graphic on it and said, the mountains are calling. And as I saw the sermon graphic that says the mountains are calling, I I, I didn't even think about the fact that this was a very popular phrase. Pastor Michael left church that uh, last Sunday, sent me a picture of the car in front of him that had a sticker on the window and said, the mountains are calling. I said, God's trying to talk to you. But there's more to that phrase. The mountains are calling. The quote of John Muir. And he said, the mountains are calling. Does anybody remember the other side of that phrase? And I must go. The mountains are calling and I must go. And so even Disney picked up that part and they were doing something about Space Mountain and all these different things. But, but here we have the mountains are calling and I must go, but they always leave out the rest of the quote, which was this. The mountains are calling and I must go and I will work on while I can studying incessantly. I'm going to learn what it takes to get to the top of the mountains. I'm not just going to see them any longer. I'm going to learn what it takes. You see, John Muir believed it was his, his, his passion, but he believed it was his call in life to get to the top of the mountains and learn the secret of the mountain so he could come down and teach other people how to go to the top of that mountain. And God has called us to become a people who aren't just trying to serve him, but he's called, listen to me very, very carefully, because I'm talking to a lot of people, many of you present, many of you listening, many watching, and I want you to get this today. I want you to understand what I'm I'm trying to tell you. We have been called more than just trying to make it. We have been called to become conquerors that others can follow up the mountains of the Lord and realize that God's ways are true because they see them manifest in our lives. So God's called us. And so he said, I've got to do the work so that I can help others learn the way up the mountain. Deuteronomy 1.6, Deuteronomy 2.3, both of these passages say that you've been around this mountain, go north, go up. It's time for you to make up your mind that you're going to stop circling what you've been doing and you're going to decide you're going to conquer it. It's time to move forward. So quickly, we began to study the seven biblical mountains that should be climbed. We talked about Mount Moriah last week, and I'm going to have to give you these just simply because you've got to understand where we've been. Mount Moriah was the mountain of engagement. It's where we realize that God's faithfulness is most often ready and poised and waiting for us to engage in, but God's faithfulness stands back waiting on our faithfulness. And as God's faithfulness waits on our faithfulness, every time I take a step, He runs to me. Every time I take a stand, he becomes the strength that helps me stand. Every time I determine I will not be knocked down, he becomes the force that causes me to rise up. That's what we learn on Moriah, that you've got to start engaging in your faith. Stop thinking about serving God and start serving God. Then we climb Sinai. And up Mount Sinai, we learn that is the mountain of instruction. 
That on the mountain of instruction is where I learned God's ways. It's where God's commandments were given. It's where God, Moses talked with God, as it were, face with, to face. As he got into the presence of God, he learned the ways of God. He was given the example of how to serve God. Listen to me very, very carefully. This is important. When he learned the ways of God, when he went back down into the valley where they were living according to the own lust of their flesh with the calf and the sexual perversion and the things that were happening down in the valley. When he went back down the valley, watch this. This is super, super important. When he went back down in the valley... It's because of where he had been that he realized how bad where he was headed was. And if in our own lives we dwell in the constant places of sin, we will start becoming aloof to those things. We will start becoming callous to those things. We will start stop becoming a, a, that kick in the gut that happens when you see something that you know is wrong. And God is calling us up the mountain. He's calling us to a higher place. He's calling us to a better place so that we spend time face to face with God. And then when I come down the mountain and I see sin, it's not who I used to be anymore. It's not even who I, I dream of being anymore. It's something that's long gone in my past because now I have tasted of the grace and the goodness and the mercy of the Lord and His goodness and I never want to go back. And so I get up Sinai and I learn God's ways from His Word and from others. And then we came Wednesday night to Mount Gershom. Probably my favorite of the mountains we've studied. Mount Gershom is an interesting story that I had never focused on in Scripture. It is the mountain of decision. We talked about it briefly. I've got to give it to you in a hurry, but we talked about it briefly here. That Mount Gershom, watch this now. Mount Gershom was a mountain that was on one side, and on the other side in the valley was Mount Ebal. And Ebal on one side, Gershom on the other. And this is what Joshua was told by Moses to do. He said, get all the people. How many of the people? Because everybody has to make a decision. If you say, well, I, I'm trying to decide. No, you've made your decision. Watch this. And he says, if they choose the ways of the Lord, turn them toward Gershom. But if they choose to reject the ways of the Lord, turn them toward Ebal. So if I come to a place of decision, I have to make up my mind, am I going to serve God or not? It's truth. Am I going to turn toward the ways of God? Or am I going to, watch this, this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Am I going to keep going my way, trying to serve God over my shoulder? Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. But I'm determined to go in this wrong relationship. Oh, I was waiting on you. <laughs> am I determined to keep doing what I know I'm not supposed to do? Trying to serve God like this. No. It must come to a place in your life where you make up your mind. I am tired of walking towards sin and bearing the curse that comes with walking towards sin. I am ready to walk into the favor and the calling and the purposes of God. And I'm no longer going to serve God looking over my shoulder. I'm going to face him face on. And I know I'm not perfect, but his grace shall cover me and I shall know the Lord. Amen. Why don't you give God a praise like he deserves? Amen. Then we went up Nebo. Just a fun one to say, Nebo. And then when we had going up Nebo, we realized that's the mountain of life purpose. It was here that as they went up the mountain, Moses was able to see over to the promised land. He could look back through his life and he could see all the distance God had brought him and he could see where he wanted to go in his life. Watch this now. But all of a sudden, his sin had hindered him from going in. Can I tell you something though? Your sin doesn't change God's purpose on your life. Watch this. God says to him, you can't go in with the children of Israel because you failed 
at the rock that you struck instead of speaking like I told you. Boom. You disobeyed me. You can't go in. So the children of Israel, Moses died and the children of Israel went in without him. So we established this question. Did Moses ever get to the promised land? Yes, is what we established. He did make it. Do you know how he made it? There's another mountain called Mount Hermon. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, Peter, James, John, come go with me. We're going up the mountain. <laughs> That's another story. But he gets up the mountain. When he gets to the top of the mountain, suddenly he takes off the garment of flesh and his divinity of glory is revealed to them. And suddenly, on his one side is Elijah, and on the other side, in Mount Hermon, in the Promised Land, is Moses. Which tells me, God's still working even beyond the extent that I can go to. And so today we come to Carmel. Wow. I have dreamed of this mountain this week, literally. I've woken up dreaming of the story and I asked somebody this question. I said, it was on Carmel that so much was accomplished and what was God doing on Carmel? And I went to them and I said, that's the mountain that the, the fire fell on. And I said, well, I said to them, I, I mean, I was looking for something deep, spiritual. I, somebody that I talked theology with and I said, why? Did fire fall on Carmel? Why? And then you know what? I was ready for a deep, deep multi-burst answer. And they said to me, because Elijah asked God to send fire. Oh! Elijah asked God to send fire to consume the sacrifice. Why? Why did Elijah ask God to send fire to consume the sacrifice? Because, watch this, he goes up Carmel to where they've been worshiping Baal, where they used to worship God, and what were they doing on top of Carmel? On top of Carmel, they were living in sexual promiscuity, sexual perversion, and they were killing their children for their own profit and their own plan of life. Does that sound familiar? So he goes to where people are living in, living in perversion, promiscuity, and they're wasting, their, they're throwing their future away on a thing called sin. And he goes to that place and he says, okay, God, I've come now to this place and I ask you, God, to send the fire. Why? Because on Carmel, we realize that God is an all-consuming fire. And what does God burn up? He takes the altar, he takes the stones, he takes the water, he consumes the wood, everything is consumed, and then the mountain is purged of the evil that was on the mountain. Why does God send the fire on Carmel? Because the scripture says, when I have gone through the fire, I shall come forth as Pure gold. Why? Because when there's sin in my life, I have to come to the place to where I no longer live in that place of distortion any longer, where I don't longer live in that place of choosing the ways of sin. But I say, God, everything that's not of you, burn it out of my life. Get it out of who I am because I want you to show up in my world. Amen. 
Let me show you what God showed me about this. There's only one other place, I've told you this before, where the fire falls like it did or something falls like it did on Carmel that day. There's only one other place, and that's on the day of Pentecost after the resurrection of Christ when all of a sudden the Bible says that as the fire consumed that altar, that there came the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Now watch this now. The rushing mighty wind, and it came and it filled the place that they were, and there was, watch this now, the wind blew in so fast What did it leave on them? Fire. The refreshing wind came in. Instead of a consuming fire that day, there came a refreshing wind that set them on fire for the glory of God. Now watch this. I thought, my goodness, it's the only two times in Scripture that we see it described this way. One day, it is a consuming fire that deals with sin. And the next day, it's a refreshing wind that ignites my passion for the glory of God. Now watch this. Until I let the fire get inside of me and burn out everything I know that shouldn't be there, the wind cannot blow in me and ignite a fire for the glory of God. Until I make up my mind, this day I will serve the Lord. I am tired of making excuses. God, you see everything in me that's not right. Some of you are going, Pastor, why are you angry? I'm angry because sin has held his children from the glory far too long. We have exchanged the presence for the program. Let's shake off the program and let God clean us out and get in the presence and let the glory of God set us on fire and be refreshed by the wind of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now watch this. Wow, they got a hold of my heart. God's doing something unique inside of who we are. I can't preach it. I told you I dreamed about it this week. Somebody this week, not related to this church in any form, fashion, or way, did something that irritated me to no end. And somehow it came up standing in the foyer this morning. And I wanted to eviscerate them in my story. You know what I'm talking about? I wanted to make them... You know how when you tell a good story, the warts certainly, the warts grow and the, you know what I'm saying? They get uglier. And the Holy Spirit said, no. Not if you want to walk where you're preaching about this morning. Shut your mouth. Did they wrong you? Yes. But you will not wrong them if you want to go where I'm calling you to go. You will never get to the refreshing move of God as long as you have hidden sin or blatant sin, quite frankly. The church, strangely enough, and this is quotable, no longer hides its sin. We, we post about it. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Boy, God's good. Do I have another mountain? I do. There's two more mountains, aren't they? But the last one we'll go to today is Mount Calvary. Mount Calvary, in the Aramaic, is called Golgotha. It means the place of the skull. The reason we call it Mount Calvary. Somebody said, why is it called Golgotha? Why is it called Calvary? Simply in Latin, this is two years of Latin. I didn't get a whole lot out of but two years of Latin, uh, Calvara means skull. Skull. 
I can say very few things. But it means skull. The place of the skull. Calvary. So thus we have a mountain of Calvary that is the mountain of sacrifice. To sacrifice by definition means to lay down for a greater cause. It means that something is worth more, so we give up something for something worth more. You see, Calvary is where worth is established. It's where we deem what is worthy. It was on Calvary where worth was established for us. It was on Calvary that the King of Glory would lay down His life to die for us, saying, you were worthy. You were worthy. See, some of you, that's the problem. You don't feel worthy, and you, you have a hard time believing you could be worthy because of all of your sins, but it's not my sacrifice that makes you worthy. It's His sacrifice that makes you worthy, and you can't talk Him out of it because He's already done it. This is the phrase I want you to get. I want you to listen to me because I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying here. I'm trying to bring this down to the end. This is a phrase I want you to get. I read this this week and it jumped in my heart. Verses. Verses contain the story of his sacrifice. Verses. Not any great amount. Verses contain the story of his sacrifice. But if we were to write the results of his sacrifice, the world could not contain its volumes. Because the one who is worthy laid down his life as a sacrifice to lay down for a greater cause, and his greater cause was your redemption and mine. John said it this way, though we could fill the sky as a parchment, it would not contain those truths of what has been done by the Messiah. Can I tell you? Calvary's where I make up my mind. I may not have been perfect, but He is. I may not feel worthy, but it doesn't change His worth. And so I come back up Calvary. And there on Mount Calvary, I bow my knee. And I say that your pain or excuse me, my pain is not as precious as his priceless life that was given for me. I say that he is worthy and better than my bitterness. And my pleasure does not compare to his presence. Can I say that one more time? My personal pleasure doesn't compare to one touch of his presence. Some of you go, Pastor Don, I don't know about that. I've had some, you don't know the joy I've had in life. No, no, you don't understand what I'm talking about. Many people don't remember the sermon preached on the day that they gave their life to Christ. Most don't remember the songs that were sung, but they remember the touch of His presence. They remember the power that drew them to salvation. They remember one touch of who He is. Can I tell you today that He is worthy and He is holy and it's time for us to go back up Calvary and take everything that's keeping us from being whole and say, 
you are worth more than this. I'm leaving it here at Calvary at the place of sacrifice. Why? So that I can shut my mouth when it needs to be shut. I can withdraw my hand when it needs to be withdrawn. I can stand my ground when it needs to be stood. Why? Because your worthiness has given me worth and now I find my purpose in giving your glory back to you and until the whole world knows that you are the king of glory, it is my passion, it is my joy, it is my deck, my goodness, I feel the Holy Ghost. It is who I am to lift you up and declare that you are worth more than my life itself. For your glory, may we be spent out. But I will tell you this about the last mountain. It is a mountain that is my favorite, favorite spot to stay in Jerusalem. Mount Moriah is here. There's a valley, a brook, a dried up brook, but a, a valley there. And up the next little hill, you stand on Zion. Zion, Zion. It's from Mount Zion that if you turn left, you look over the hill and there's Bethlehem. There's the birthplace. You turn to your right and there's the Mount of Olives. The place that he would pray. The place he would return. The place where many believe he was sacrificed. And just ahead of you is Moriah. Wow. Do you know what I realize about Zion? Zion, and, and I can't give you this now and unfold this now, but Zion is not only a physical location. It's a spiritual reality. And Zion is a place of strength and blessing. It's the mountain of revelation. It's where you learn who God really is. And here's the thing. You'll never be able to go up Zion until you've learned the lessons of the other, other six mountains. You can't get up there. Until you become faithful. Until you make up your mind. Until you settle your relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll never know, watch this, because here's what was on top of Zion, and I, can't, I cannot unfold this, but listen to me. It's where you, there used to be a song that said, Zion is calling us to a higher place of praise. It's literally a revelation of Zion. Because, watch this, perfected praise only is born from perfected rest. In other words, when I'm settled in Christ, then there are no motives to my praise. It is only his pure worship that arises. I'm not all of a sudden back in church trying to fix a problem. I'm not trying to get my way. I'm simply declaring who he is and the beauty of his holiness. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, you have been calling us up these mountains. For the mountains are calling and I must go. And so I must work while I can to learn their secrets so that I might grow into who you've called me to be. Up the mountain I go. Up the mountain we go today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, quick question, we're going to pray. Actually, I'm going to give you three quick questions. One, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I, I need to go up Carmel because there's some sin in my life that I need to confess and I need God to burn out. 
Let me see your hand if that's you. Get it up. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. Hands all over this place. Thank you. Put those down. Secondly, your praise has not come from a, a place where it should be yet because you've not been focused on his worth. You're struggling with your worth so much that you haven't been focused on his worth and you've not become a living sacrifice yet declaring the perfect and acceptable will of God. And you want to declare today, I will lay down whatever it is so that I can give God the glory he deserves. Can I see your hand if that's you? Put those down. Last and final question. Are you here today and you say, Pastor Don, I need to climb the mountain of salvation first. I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. I've never settled my relationship with Jesus. I, I don't know who he is for me. And I want to know him as my Savior. I want to know him as Lord of my life. I didn't embarrass anybody else to raise their hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're going to pray a prayer and in moments. This service is going to be over, but it's going to affect your eternity now. If you say today's the day you're ready to climb the mountain of salvation, either to rededicate your life or to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want to see your hand as quickly as you can get it in the air and hold it up high. Thank you. 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 Are there others? Quickly. You can put those hands down. I want to see if anybody else raises their hand right now. Quickly, is there anybody else? Oh, there's probably at least 10 people that have raised their hand to respond to this call today. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be born again. This moment, lives are going to change for all eternity. You're about to start on a journey. This is not frivolous. This is sincere. And as you make these declarations, make them from who you are. And he will introduce you to who he is. Right now, right where you are different perspective of God, a new perspective of you. Let's pray this prayer. I want this whole congregation praying with these 10 right now. Jesus, Jesus by, faith, by faith, I confess, I, confess I, am I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Yes. Today, Today, that changes. That change. I give you my past, my, past, my, present, my present, and my future. And my future. From this moment forward, I receive your love and your grace. I believe Jesus died for me and now he lives for me. And by faith, I declare God is my father. Heaven is my home. Jesus is my savior. Father, I thank you for the many, those many I've never seen before who are praying that prayer right now. Lord, I thank you that inside of them there is an internal change occurring. Lord, they will turn toward you. And as they have turned toward you, you have rushed to meet them in your grace. Lord, we are making up our minds. We're not going to be the same. We will know Jesus with all of our heart, all of our soul, and with all of our mind. For these that are confessing sin today, grace is theirs. Forgiveness abounds to them. For those who are saying, Lord, help me declare who you are, may the same Holy Spirit that blew in that refreshing fire and blew in that rene renewal 
that was speaking to my heart saying, don't go back to where you were. Father, I thank you. May he blow into their lives as well. In the name of That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at Warhill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now. Thank you.